You're listening to a DM podcast. Rocket is actually a great example because she cites her involvement in the podcast as one of the main reasons that she's been able to keep off drugs since she left prison. And that's a really big thing because if you've heard her story, she first started using when she was six. Welcome back. Thank you very much. It is very good to be here with you, Stocks, once again. All right. Well, we've got an exciting one today. We've been speaking with Joanna Bell of the Bird's Eye View podcast. First of all, welcome to Behind the Podcast. I'm Jules and with me is Stocks. This was the podcast of the year last year. Bit of a big deal. So we're going to dedicate two parts to this podcast. We'll do one this week and then we'll do another one in a couple of weeks' time. But this week we're talking to Joanna Bell. She's the creator of the podcast. Um, she's a creative writer, creative of everything, really, if you have a look at her bio. But she's really interested in kind of bringing stories, particularly stories from up in the Northern Territory to light. Stories that maybe don't have usually a, a place in the mainstream media. So she's really interested in sort of slow storytelling and that was one of the things that led to this podcast. Yeah, it's really interesting. She's gone. It took two years to make. She had to go in weekly into a women's correctional centre, which was inside a men's correctional centre, which had all sorts of logistical challenges, etc., etc. She's got this thing called her collaborative process. So it's a real collaboration between, I guess, the people you hear on the podcast. I mean, we should jump into it. Yeah, totally. Let's not waste any more time. Joanna, let's hear from you. Tell us a bit about the podcast. Bird's Eye View is a podcast all about women's lived experiences in prison. It was made over two years with more than 70 women from the Darwin Correctional Centre and it takes you inside to Sector 4, which is a small slice in an enormous men's prison. You'll hear laughing and crying jokes, a few parodies, some poetry and lots and lots of storytelling. Yeah, it's a really, really rich experience. Um, Before you got to meet all of these women in, in Darwin Correctional, what, how did you come about getting into podcasting yourself? Can you tell us a bit about your history, your journey? My first career was actually in social research um, and program evaluation. And I came at podcasting in a pretty uh, sort of accidental way. Uh, my first foray into storytelling was in the picture book world, where I worked with an Aboriginal artist from Tennant Creek uh, making picture books. Uh, we've made several picture books and done a lot of cross-cultural work, both through social research but also in the community arts sector. And what I realised when I was working across cultures is that one of the hardest things is working around literacy, working around different literacy skills. And oral storytelling is this universal platform that you can just cut through. doesn't matter you know, whether you're confident with a pen and paper, whether you've got access to a computer or, or good quality, you know, studio gear, oral storytelling is everywhere. And so I just started to come off the page and into the airwaves and the next logical move was to start working in the audio space. Um, I ran a live storytelling event up here called Spun Stories, which was loosely uh, modelled on The Moth from New York City, but with a kind of a less performative background. A lot of sort of everyday Territorians sharing some pretty crazy stories from their lives. And we recorded those just as an afterthought, actually. And then they were so great that people kept asking us to put them out into the world. So with Jess Ong, a woman who grew up here, we made Spun Stories podcast. 
And word kind of got out. So the Department of Health up here approached me um, and said, would I be interested in doing a spun inside the prison? But all my experience working cross-culturally, particularly with very shy women, sort of pointed to it being not a particularly great fit, um, asking, you know, women who might have some shame and some shyness to get up on stage and share stories from their lives. So I said, oh, what about an audio storytelling project? And they were really keen on it. No one knew what it was going to become, but I had funding to go into the prison for two years to develop audio storytelling skills with women and, and work on a community arts development project, which then went on to um, become Bird's Eye View. I'd actually never been inside a prison before the project started, so it was a pretty steep learning curve for everyone involved. Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I think you've sort of accidentally got into podcasting originally through Spun and then had this great idea to, you know, to take that in, in format that adjust and, and really bring out those stories from within the prison. But the barrier to entry, I suppose, as a kind of, you know, first time intentional podcast, if you will, and then trying to smuggle all of this equipment, let's for lack of a better word, into the prison to get these stories. I mean, it must have been quite an undertaking to get all of those ducks in a row. Yeah, the real work started sort of three months before we even entered the prison. There was a lot of meeting with very senior people within corrections. Um, I actually had a really uh, funny experience where um, I had to sort of pitch to the the most senior person and his staff at a large meeting. And you can imagine I was there just in my kind of podcast making clothes and I walked in and everyone was in their corrections regalia, you know, like uniforms and hats and they had their little stripes on their sleeves and all sat around this enormous... um, board table and looking very you know mostly over 50 gray-headed men looking very kind of solemn a few younger blokes and I think there was one woman in the in the room who was a psychologist Um, and I started out by telling a story about a fishing sort of disaster that happened to me when I was a young person and I I got told afterwards that people were like where is this going? You know, but then they lent so much into the story that a couple of weeks later, when I finally did get into the prison, I didn't have to introduce myself because they just kept going, oh, there's that woman who, who told that fishing story. Yeah, the fishing lady. <laughs> so they kind of didn't care. They didn't, a lot of them didn't listen to podcasts. They didn't really know, I think, a lot of the time what it was that we were making. Mm. But they were just sort of happy because the big bosses had signed off on the project. It depended really who was on the security gate. So some days people were really welcoming and they sort of, you have to scan everything. You have to take your shoes off and your, your jewellery off. And, you know, unfortunately, the if you have underwires in your bra, you know, set the machine off every time. You've got to have every SD card kind of numbered and named. You've got to have sign off it every single cord, every battery, every pen. Um, you get The things get counted in and out. Some days they really s- sort of pay a lot of attention to it and other days they just wave you through. So how long do you actually have on ground once you've got through all of this? Like the bump in, bump out time must be incredible. Yeah, that um, really depends on what's going on in the prison on the day. 
So you would have heard if you've listened to the podcast that there's a section about colours and what colours mean inside a prison. Um, there's the colour shirts, you know, that people wear to com- quickly communicate what level of security they are. And then there's also all these colour codes that are coming over the internet yeah, all the time. So if there's a code blue in the prison, which is a medical emergency, then nobody's really allowed to kind of move around. Or if there's been an incident, um, I think there's, I think they're code greys and code reds and there was a code brown as well, but I never heard that. I wondered if it was a plumbing problem. (laughs) Um, If that's going on, you actually get stopped and just sat on a bench and you can't go anywhere. And there were a couple of times when we turned up and it's a 25 minute drive out of Darwin we've got like a three-hour window to do our work once a week and you get out there and they're like sorry you can't go in today and you're like what everyone's in lockdown why oh someone's toilet's blocked and there's a male plumber in there so we've got to lock all the women up you know so there's there's all those sorts of things that um interfere with production it was in terms of slow storytelling, it was extremely slow storytelling. It took two years to make the podcast. There was some of the stories that you hear, because each episode has a personal audio essay in there. Some of them took up to six months to craft because the process was building trust with the women. Eventually, if they wanted to tell a story, doing a series of one-on-one interviews or sort of story-sharing sessions, transcribing that and then bringing the transcriptions in. If if women were confident readers, they could read through that and cross bits out that they didn't want shared or kind of ask for pickups. Or if they weren't readers, they listened through again and kind of said what was in and out and then we edited it. And then they, we went through that again. And then we added music. We went through that again. And you could, the back and forth thing can take weeks. I mean, if, you, if one woman's at clinic or, you know, has a visit when you're there, it can be two or three weeks between discussions about the editorial side of things. So sometimes I got really, really jealous of the journalists, you know, who just get to run in, they take the tape, they run out, and then they release it into the world end of project yeah because i mean the running of the prison is always takes precedent over everything else how did you feel the first time you walked in and then how long did it take for you to get comfortable um i had the privilege of running a program in a wa prison over a week and i was terrified the first time coming in but within a couple of days got so comfortable that i did get into some situations where i forgot about security and actually got bailed up by the wardens for being too relaxed did that happen or how was it um it's great to hear that you've been you know making audio on the inside i think there's just not enough arts-based and narrative-based projects inside corrections um as an aside one of the great outcomes of this podcast has been that i've received heaps of phone calls from people working in corrections interstate who want to run similar projects awesome the first time i walked into the prison I I wouldn't say I was scared, but I was alert. Like you can feel like, you know, all your hairs on your arms and your sort of your body's ready to run. And it's a very strange setup because 
like I sort of imagined a sort of dingy kind of concretey kind of key and lock like old school prison but the prison outside of Darwin was only built about five years ago so it's very modern and there's a lot of like very mechanical kind of robotic sounds like all the doors are automated there's a lot of clicks and beeps very very long footpaths that you have to walk through obviously there's no trees around because you you can't have anything blocking line of sight Mm. there's huge big towers up in the air with you know big eye cameras on them looking everywhere lots of barbed wire lots of high fencing lots of concrete um not a lot of not a lot of sound I think what I noticed was how there was this robotic backdrop and then not much else except for the Corellas so there's this straight away I heard because I'm a bit of a bird nerd um, I heard this flock of Corellas and they've got that kind of real sort of seedy larrikin kind of you know uh, sound that's sort of almost a bit fitting to what you think of the, the type of bird that might end up inside a prison. <laughs> um, and they, you could hear them, you know, talking to each other and screeching and calling out through the fence. Um, and so it really wasn't a surprise to me when the women spoke a lot about the birds in the prison and also really wanted to call the podcast Bird's Eye View because the birds were the one of the things one of the only things that sort of brought them daily joy and um and also they were you know very good wordsmiths a few of them just love to speak in code all the time I think that was something that I hadn't anticipated that um the women would be so great at using metaphor because in a prison you actually have to be very good at saying two things at once so that you can speak to people without being caught by guards. All all of the women that you speak to, I mean, their stories are amazing. And, you know, there's obviously a history of storytelling that comes along with that as well. But I think it's so good just hearing those kind of stories, you know, from the outside and from a completely outsider's point of view of just the way, you know, from the prison system of just how much is is taken away from you at that time and, and hearing the way that they talk and, you know, the way that, that people respond to them on the outside, despite the fact that they've been convicted of something, they're in prison, they're doing their time, they're, they're doing their punishment, but the continuous, you know, punishment that goes on beyond that, the effect that it must have on the psyche, the, the things that they miss out on and the history of situations that have got them to that point in the first place you know it's very easy to keep these things back of mind but having this kind of format just brings such humanity to it I'm so pleased to hear you say that because one of the editorial challenges in the process was whether or not we stuck with a straight storytelling format so personal audio essays or whether we branched out and used the magazine format that we did end up using and originally we were just going to do straight storytelling but the women were very clear that they wanted to explore these three questions who are we really how did we get here and where to next what we realized was that if we went with just the personal narratives then we'd probably end up sort of reinforcing or at least adding to some of the cliched narrow views about who ends up in prison yeah the the stereotype being you know that women are damaged that they're victims and that they're a bit irretrievable 
worthless, essentially. We really didn't want to add to that. And the way of countering it was by moving away from a straight storytelling format to have this montage of voices hosting the podcast, um, constantly reminding the listeners that it's no one type of person. It's no vocal, no one single vocal imprint or no one life, you know, type of life that ends up in prison. This could be you. This could happen to anyone. And for some women, it's, you know, they grow up in it. And for other women, it's just a slippery slide. Something goes wrong. You know, they make a a bad decision at some point and they end up inside. Yeah. But it was also the most joyful part of making the podcast because, and this is a real testament to slow storytelling and community arts development, is when you give people the the skills and the equipment and the space to play and experiment, you will get good content. Some of the content that you hear on the podcast, like the Salty Plum beauty hacks and (laughs) some of the the spoofy interviews and parody. I don't know if people have heard the ads where Mm. they're satirical ads, podcast ads. Like all those things came from the women once they were really confident on the mics. The satirical ads and the actual, you know, it seemed like you did a, a very long paid spot for sanitarium wheat beaks at one stage. So I hope they were well funded for that. <laughs> well, that was the women. They're like, oh, we know what you know, we know what we're going to do here. Yeah, we're going to try get sponsorship from wheat, you know, from sanitarium. <laughs> I don't know whether Senate sanit- like. Sanitarium even knows that sold them as the prisoner's choice. (laughs) (laughs) Discerning prisoner. It's interesting that you should bring up that particular segment because that was actually one of my favourite moments. Um, It's two prisoners, Rocket and Tace, Mm. and they're on the mics and they're talking about um, moving kind of illicit substances around the prison and it starts out and you totally think oh this is going to be really naughty it's going to be drugs and weapons and stuff Mm. and then you realize that they're actually trading wheat bix because they're only allowed to get one box of wheat bix a week on the buys but tace has a wheat bix addiction and so she needs to trade all sorts Mm. of things um to get her wheat bix fix and of course i think we all know they're also talking in code (laughs) there was no way that the prison was ever going to sign off on a segment about contraband movements around the prison and so without any prompting that was their way of being able to you know truth speaking but without being edited by the people who were signing off on all the content gotcha and we'll get to Rocket in a minute, but would love to talk a bit more about the creative collaboration process you used and also really interested to understand how you built the trust and how much time you spent building trust at the beginning, I guess in an environment where there is no trust. No one trusts anyone. Prisoners don't trust the institution. The institution doesn't trust the prisoners. So how, how did you go about that? With great difficulty and a, um, a lot of tentative baby steps. If Rocket was here, and I should say I normally co-present with Rocket. In fact, this is the first time we haven't spoken together. And um, she's interstate and, you know, with her family at the moment and um, isn't able to take part. Rocket will tell you straight up that she did not trust myself or Leah, who was a co-producer, the moment we walked in. She was like, hmm what's in it for them you know and and the women asked straight up on the first day what's in it for you why are you doing this 
And I don't think we really had very good answers. We're like, we don't really know what we're doing yet. We're hoping we can make something together. We don't know what it'll be yet. And also we said, this is kind of what we do. This is what we believe in. This is the sort of work we're leaning towards on the outside. So it makes sense you guys get a chance as well, you know, elevating unheard voices. Both Leah and I have pretty great people skills and we're really open to sharing our personal stories. So I think that's a starting point is when you share a bit, it creates a space for other people to, you know, contribute their own vulnerabilities. What was tricky was that, there's politics in the yard. The politics from the yard comes into the room. And so there's people who don't feel comfortable speaking in the presence of other people. And it took me weeks, maybe even a couple of months to work out who was being kind of silenced by who just by the fact that they're in the room. It meant that we we needed to use big group discussions and we also had to have smaller group sessions and one-on-one so that different people had a chance to speak up. I think the main thing was that we kept turning up because unfortunately inside the Darwin prison because women are a minority there's about 1100 people in the prison but only 80 of them are women Mm. because of that they don't have a lot of access to programs so they're pretty happy when the same face turns up and they're pretty happy when you follow through on stuff One of the early kind of moments when we cracked people was we got permission to bring podcasts from the outside in because I stupidly had not thought of this. But What's um, a podcast? Exactly. People were like, what's a podcast? Because they'd been inside so long that they hadn't been there for like the last five years, the rise of podcasts. Or they're from, you know, family backgrounds where podcasts is just not a thing that you do. And it's really hard to explain what a podcast is without referencing other types of media. So we were like, it's like Netflix for your pocket, you know, for your ears. You haven't heard of Ira Glass? Look. (laughs) 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 Totally. I mean, I think it's easy for us to get really blinkered in the audio world, but... What we ended up doing was bringing in episodes of Ear Hustle and also this wonderful episode from Radio Diaries where they did a prison special and it was a woman's story about getting locked up and getting separated from her daughter. And um, I learnt a really important lesson that day because I knew I knew it would be hard listening but I didn't realise what a, a massive outpouring of emotion it was going to create. In hindsight, I should have given the women a better heads up about what was coming but what it did was it cracked everybody open to share their own grief about being separated from their kids I reckon that was a turning point people were like it's okay to talk about this stuff because Rocket will say you know one of the hardest things about being in prison is you can't laugh because the guards think you've snuck drugs in and you can't cry because they'll put you on watch you've just kind of got to live in this grey zone in the middle where you don't get to express yourself and we chose to make the podcast inside the little demountable sort of library room mostly because it was the softest sound because of the books and one couch it was the nicest audio sort of recording space but also because there was no video camera in there it was the only room where women felt they weren't being watched although they were pretty convinced at times that they were being listened to I think the trust comes really slowly. There was one 
woman, Naomi. She was a very shy 23-year-old from a remote community and she did not speak for eight weeks. So we got one Zoom in with a mic, not even with a mic, just the Zoom, and we would pass it round and get people to sort of play with it and build up their confidence and also start to listen out for audio hygiene you know, mic handling interference and things, little bits of practising. And she would always just dissolve into this, like, puddle of giggles any time the mic came near her to the point where people would just sort of pass it past her and she would sit quietly. About eight weeks in, we were talking about birds and she suddenly reached out and she had these beautiful long kind of arms. She reached out and beckoned for the mic to come to her and the whole room fell silent because they knew it was like super significant moment and there was a sort of stillness which is actually quite rare in prison because a lot of people have ADHD and they're real jiggly but there was this stillness and everyone just turned and watched and Naomi spoke for the first time and talked about the significance of the pelican her totem and how much she missed it being in prison And this sort of flood of memories about being at home on country and being with family came out. Everybody just showed such immense respect for that moment. And for me, it was really one of those moments that really stands out because I'd seen how far Naomi had come in terms of her own confidence and skills. And she went on to ask to share her story, which you can listen to. Uh, I think it's episode seven about love and I remember sort of playing her the audio edit the first time and she said "Mm, it's good but I left some bits out (laughs) and I you know she she started demanding to do pickup now she's doing doing her own long form podcast (laughs) three and a half hours each week (laughs) well everyone struggles the first time they hear their voice right so (laughs) she wasn't so worried about that although when I met up with her on the outside she had a short sentence three months And um, I met up with her outside Target in the food court at Palmerston, which is like a satellite city just sort of outside of Darwin. And we sat and I played her the final version for her sign-off. And she just didn't move the whole time. Her head was down and I thought, oh, no, she hates it. And she just sort of like was frozen. Anyway, she was just deep listening and she put her head up. She loved it. She sort of gave the nod of approval and then she called out to all her family across the way and got her mum to listen to it, her two cousins to listen to it, and her nephew to listen to it. So I, I think I was at outside Target for like three hours all up. <laughs> Powerful, though. So how collaborative was it? You've mentioned the, the name was um, something that they all came up with. The stories, the editing, the cuts, was it the whole enchilada? That's a really great question and I think a very complex one that we could probably speak about for the entire interview the way that I think about collaboration is sort of in stages Um, so there's the conception stage and this podcast was definitely co-conceived because when we went in we didn't know what we were making and it would have been much easier to make an ear hustle style podcast with an outside host and an inside host but because the women wanted to emphasize the plurality of voices and the diversity of women who who end up in prison that sort of became the wrong form so they were very instrumental in conceiving co-conceiving what this thing would be and then there was the there's the development and 
editing side of things. So by developing content, I mean coming up with ideas about what the segments would be, you know, experimenting on the mic, saying what they thought worked and didn't work. Like, for example, the spoofy tampon ads are all there, you know, idea, you know, and they were at the point where they just scripted it, ran with it, mucked around, said what they wanted in, what they didn't want in. The cutting happened on the outside because we weren't allowed to take any actual equipment in, so nothing with Wi-Fi signal. We had a a USB that was encrypted with an eight-digit code so that none of the women could steal it and use it, and there was no way of playing audio on the inside except through a karaoke machine. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Which had these wretched flashing lights it was one of those like karaoke machines that you wheel into like the school assembly area oh i'm familiar with them yeah <laughs> yeah they are a lot of fun but they're not great for listening to audio on because no. the sound quality is shit but um we would play the audio out loud via the karaoke machine or if it was a sort of a more personal piece one woman would sit with the earphones mm. um on the karaoke machine and it was something to do with we couldn't get mp3 files to play on our zooms maybe somebody out there knows the answer but um once we'd made the files we couldn't we could upload them onto the zoom but we couldn't get them to replay for the women so in answer to your question women were involved sort of at every stage the co-promotion being the next stage so women who'd already been released were very much involved in um, helping to promote the podcast around its release there was a lot of upskilling in media training we tried very hard to sort of edit ourselves out and step back and create paid positions for women with lived experiences of incarceration wherever we could it really comes through in the process as you said you could have gone the other way and been so prescriptive in how you did it and you wouldn't have got anything as rich. Sometimes I wish I had gone a little bit more the other way because it's probably no secret, I've said it before, but I ended up with really bad burnout as a result. I think as an independent producer, I'd underestimated the vicarious trauma that would occur Mm. absorbing so many stories and also re-listening to them and listening to them and listening to them through the editing process. And normally if you work on a narrative therapy project, which this ultimately was, although it never intended to be, you have supervision. You know, you have people you can speak to about that stuff. It kind of got me a bit late. I didn't realise how it all worked. So sometimes I wish I'd pulled up a little bit earlier. Oh, um, one other thing I forgot to mention about the editing process or the kind of co-creation side of things was when we first put music to the stories they it was stock music that cinnamon nippard who was one of the most incredible producers on this project cinnamon had found all these great stock music tracks from berlin and argentina and all sorts of places it just didn't work it Mm. just didn't sound like it was coming from the northern territory so early on i made a decision that we would only use music created by female musicians from the Northern Territory. And we ended up licensing 28 tracks from 16 artists and then working with Katie Baker, who's an incredible songwriter up here. She came into the prison with her producer, James Mungohig, 
and they worked on creating the theme song, which is very much part of the sort of soundscape of the podcast. And it was made largely through found sounds recorded by the women and body percussion and some chorus that we recorded in the disabled toilet. It was before COVID, so we managed to get 18 people into one disabled toilet. <laughs> <laughs> makeshift sound booth. <laughs> I was wondering if we could quickly touch on something about the funding. It was the NT government and the Australia Council for the Arts, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Just, I guess for podcasts, that's not a traditional way to get something funded. I was wondering if you could tell us just a little bit about how that happened. Yeah, look, I'm a big believer in um, the importance of narrative in change making all different kinds of change making whether it be environmental or social I've been working in that space for a long time creating partnerships with government agencies and businesses to help use narrative to achieve the types of outcomes that they want change making outcomes so for me it made sense that the Department of Health who up here have a mandate to do a lot of public health messaging around alcohol and other drugs and around harm minimization. It made sense that they would be really interested in funding a narrative project for women in prison. They were particularly interested in the individual and kind of group impact on Aboriginal women who had a history of alcohol and other drug use. The idea being that At an individual level, when you share your story, you go through a change process. It might be connecting with someone else. It might be building confidence and skills or, as Rocket says, this validation of her lived experience. Rocket is actually a great example because she cites her involvement in the podcast as one of the main reasons that she's been able to keep off drugs since she left prison and that's a really big thing because if you've heard her story she first started using when she was six yeah it didn't seem like there was much hope no we couldn't really go much further without actually giving rocket a special shout out i mean she's one of the absolute stars of this show and she's gone on to do her own little interviews with musicians and you know just lockdown hacks and things like that What's it like for you going in somewhere like that and, and just suddenly finding a character like Rocket and, and Tace as well? I mean, those two just had such fantastic chemistry together. I was so amazed at who was in that prison. I mean, I went in with a whole bunch of my own stereotypes. You know, you can't help it. You grow up in our culture and you think you're going to find a certain kind of woman in prison. I couldn't believe how quick and smart and funny the women were and how incredibly resilient like the the way that humor is used as an upper in prison is I've not seen it in any other ecosystem it was a delight and it was also sometimes it was challenging because part of me wanted to just hand the reins over to rocket and taste and make it the rocket and taste show (laughs) and that would have been easier in lots of ways but it wouldn't have reflected the initial wishes of the group the great thing is i've stayed in touch with both tace and rocket on on the outside and they're both doing really well rocket has taken on an advocacy role up here now for women and girls with lived experiences of incarceration and um, she is setting out to make her very own podcast which is called recovering rocket and it's about the lived experience of a recovering ice addict so and like the kind of everyday up and down and the realities of what it's like you know to still be on 
serving a suspended sentence and having to go and do piss tests every other week, corrections and have your movements monitored. And it makes me happy to think that something that Rocket learned inside prison is still very much part of her life and continues to create opportunities for her. Absolutely. And people can at her on Twitter as well. And Oh, yeah, go for it. She's worth following. She's, um, I think she's at Renee Rocket. We'll make sure we put that link in as well. The podcast has been out for a while now and it did very well at the Podcast Awards, Podcast of the Year, the Australian Podcast Awards in 2020. What's the audience reaction <laughs> been like? You know, no doubt it must have caused quite a buzz up there in the Territory, but beyond that and, and just, you know, around Australia, you know, the world really, it's podcasting. Well, how's some of the reaction been? Oh, look, the outpouring of support um, from community has been phenomenal like I actually can't keep keep up with it half the time because I'm an independent producer and the funding for bird's eye view is long gone but I just keep getting this flood of emails from people who just they love it they love the sound of it they think they feel really transported they feel challenged I think and they also talk a lot about how much they enjoy the humor and how kind of alive and relatable it feels um we get emails from all over the place i think the latest one was from norway this old guy in canada who sent all these letters into the prison the the women get fan mail all the time um i don't even think they can keep up with writing back to all the people who write to them and the other thing is that there's just been this massive amount of donations of yarn for the crochet club so much so that there was a press release this week from the one of the ministers saying that a crochet club has been kept going by a podcast and now they're crocheting I think gifts for children in pediatric ward I think we got one bad review out of hundreds and Rocket's like I want to find out who that person is (laughs) for me I suppose I'm interested in impact the impact of making media like this and some of the really big things that have made change up here is the NT Correction Centre have had staff contact me about um, the use of storytelling in some of the other units within the prison outside of the women's section. I've had calls from Victoria and South Australia about using the content in training programs for staff and also taking content inside for women to listen to who, who don't have access to podcasts and online listening. I've had conversations with people who work in prisons in England and in New Zealand. One of the really crazy things was the prison radio project in the UK aired a whole bunch of content inside their system. So they run 24-hour radio made by prisoners for prisoners. And that was really like it was a bit of a stretch for my brain because you make these things and you never imagine that like a First Nations story that's told in two languages might be then played in a prison inside the colonizers' country. <laughs> you know. Oh, wow, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> we could talk about this for days and days and days, but um, and I we think, may come back yeah, when Rocket's back in town as well. For sure. You know, well, inspired by Rocket, actually, she interviewed Courtney Barnett. She said she wanted to know what songs Courtney was really into, but embarrassed to say, yeah, I love that song. 
Can you tell us, are there any podcasts that you're really into that you're embarrassed to say, yeah, I love that podcast? Probably most of them, actually. At the moment, I'm really addicted to This Jungian Life, which is a, a conversational podcast with three Jungian psychoanalysts from the States. And let's just say there's a lot of dream interpretation, but there's also... So yeah, some really interesting kind of unpacking of social dilemmas. It's a lot about, you know, how to listen to your sort of subconscious a little bit more. Part of the burnout recovery program. I don't know if this is embarrassing. No, it's not embarrassing. I know some guys uh, in Sydney who have made a podcast called Dad to Me. And it's interviews between dads and their kids. It's all the questions that you want to ask your dad's but you've never been able to or you've never got traction with and they go and do it for you. Oh, that's a bottomless well of content, really. Oh, my gosh. It's a wonderful concept and it's got this really great combo of very light and funny with some really serious parent-child stuff. Um, I guess one last thing. You flagged one thing you might have done differently if you had your time again with this podcast, but is there any advice you'd give to other people about wanting to start a podcast. Yeah, or even getting unique stories out there and community voices. Yeah, I think if you're interested in collaborating and sharing creative control with other people, particularly people who may not have had so much experience at speaking up, my my biggest advice would be to plan to go slow and to get ready to get uncomfortable because there's this sort of abrasive thing that happens when you're working alongside people who have a really different worldview or a different life experience to you where you can't help but sort of start interrogating your own way of being in the world. And I always sort of liken it of being inside the aisle at Bunnings when you want to buy sandpaper. And at one end, you've got like the really hardcore, you know, gritty sandpaper that if you've rubbed it on your skin, you're going to, like, bleed all over the floor. And on the other end, you've got that, like, really lovely sort of manicure strength paper that, like, you do, you rub it on your skin and not much happens at all. If you stay in that area, you actually don't get much stuff done. There's just not enough abrasion. But if you end up down the gritty end, you do end up kind of coming unstuck and getting injured somewhere in between is a sweet spot and you've just got to find that sandpaper gradient that suits you (laughs) get ready for it because it's um i'd love to say it's all peachy but it's quite confronting at times yeah well i mean look the podcast is confronting but it's heartwarming and it's just absolutely wonderful so thanks very much for taking the time with us today to talk through the process and we look forward to everything that you have coming up and also anyone else who's listening out there we would suggest you write to Bird's Eye View Sector 4 Darwin Correctional Centre GPO Box 1066 Howard Springs Northern Territory Australia 0835 Brilliant Um, yeah mail in jail is a really big deal and the women will be stoked to get anything at all oh but only send letters because if you put anything else in the envelope it'll come back to you Great advice (laughs) 